here's the million dollar question. Do we, do we post this link to this space on Mastodon? I already oh, have. Well I did earlier today. Awesome. No, I did earlier today. I mean, I think that it depends on the instance you're on. I mean, I think there's definitely some lag. Um, but no, I got some re- replies on. Yeah, I definitely. I, I got a lot of uh, interest on Mastodon. So, right. uh, and just to uh, preview it, um, we are going to do our space next week. We'll be on Mastodon. So we want to talk about Mastodon and about the Fediverse. Um, a lot to talk about there, obviously. And then, uh, Adam, you and I are trying to figure out where the next spot is for this because it's not going to be on Twitter. Yeah, we really like Twitter spaces. It's sort of been great. Or, or It's been great. But what, it, but what we mean to say is we like social audio. And so if we can get ourselves out of here and, and retain some of the conversation and the folks participating and all that stuff, um, but but get it out of here, that'd be great. Yeah, we're so we're gonna try to chopper ourselves out of here. Um, I think at least this next space next week will be here, um, and then we're gonna try to figure out what's next. So, would love anyone's help on figuring out uh, social audio apps in the in the Fediverse or not in the Fediverse or in the. I know Adam, you acted like I made up the term Fediverse a few earlier today. I I, I have not. It is the Fediverse. You know what I choose to believe that you have? I choose to believe that somebody <laughs> has been conning you for like years and this is the big okay. payoff. You know, I didn't want to do this, but I am reminded of the first time that I informed you of GitHub. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, totally. This is totally fair. Where I couldn't... Were you, were you like, uh, I'm sorry, did you say GitHub? GitHub. Like, I was like, what I... words are you saying? You're like, yes, a hub of Git. Like I still don't. A hub of Git. Yeah. Right. Can you hear yourself say a hub of Git? And I'm like, it actually is a thing. Other people use it. I, oh, other people use it now. Are they in the room with you right now? Like, <laughs> all right. Look, just it. And, th- and this is, I mean, you know, I feel that. Other people do use GitHub. Hub of Git. Yes. Um, I'm all for the hub of Git now. I, I think that was exactly more or less what you said maybe a month later. You're like, we're moving everything to the hub of Git. So. <laughs> I actually still think of that often. Ah, yes, the hub of Git. Here I am. The hub of Git. Uh, but so we want to find something that's going to be Fediverse friendly. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean like we, we want to find something. I would say actually our constraints on this are um, I love, we love the ability for people to drop in spont- that, with that, that kind of spontaneity, um, that serendipity, where people come into a conversation that they think they're going to listen to, they hear something that is, oh, wow, I, I know something about that, or I lived through that, and they raise their hand and they speak. I feel like, Adam, we've had some of our most interesting conversations that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and insofar as we can replicate that, just sort of not here. Uh, but that doesn't mean we can't pull in folks from here. You know, that We'll probably cross-post it to Twitter and let people come find us that way as well. Yeah, I mean, you're being generous to the absolute conflagration that is. I mean, I would say the wheels are coming off, but it feels like there's that. Feels like that's not quite strong enough for what's happening. Yeah, no. it feels like all parts of the vehicle. But this off. is all. This is all a preview for next week. This is all a preview for next week. Uh, this week we are talking. I feel like we could do five different spaces today. There's there is so. <laughs> I mean. So this is only like we came up with this as our plan for the space only on Saturday. And it feels like years ago. Yes. Years ago. Because so much has happened. So we want to talk about layoffs in tech. 
Um, we've got a, a lot we want to talk about, we want to ask people about. Um, if, if you've been, been through a layoff um, or if you've got something to contribute, definitely um, volunteer to speak. We'd love to get your perspective. Um, we've got our boss here, Steve, Steve Tuck, who um, I know, because um, Adam, you had asked me, did we go through layoffs at Joyant? Right. And my answer was, the answer for the, for the engineering organization was more or less no, in that I basically skirted layoffs, but we definitely had a lot of layoffs at Joyant and uh, over the years and through the pivots and so on. And so I'm looking forward to Steve speaking to that. Um, also, Adam, is this a, you know, you had your earlier intervention with me not providing an adequate intro for our Twitter. How are we doing on the intro? I'd say pretty good. We're, okay. we're, talk, we're talking about yeah, B minus, yeah, B plus. Yeah, exactly. We tend to sort of just ramble our way into the topic, <laughs> right. which is fine. It's our, it's our thing, but you know, it, it's hard as an editor sometimes to find where to start and stop. But whatever, <laughs> we're trying to be better about it. Okay, yeah. so we, we we're talking about layoffs in tech today. It is in the. I mean, I think what prompted this. There were two layoffs that prompted this, and then a bunch has happened since then. But um, two layoffs announced more or less on the same day. I think right the the, the Stripe layoffs. And and the Twitter layoffs were when were the Stripe layoffs? You know the Twitter layoffs were so tricky to pin down about when they happened because oh I think God, everyone I knew that they were going to happen, and then they happened, but they won't happen for sixty days uh, or something. Uh, I feel like the Twitter layoffs were and are and will always be. Uh, they are going to be the stuff of legend for sure. Yeah. Um, and they have buried the Stripe layoffs in terms of the news. Um, yeah, the, absolutely. <laughs> which, but um, these were studies and contrasts for sure. Um, there are some that uh, there are some underlying similarities. That's one of the questions we got on Mastodon. Was like, hey, could you speak to some of the similarities that we're seeing in the companies that are enduring layoffs? I think we can definitely speak to some of that. Um, but these were handled radically differently. Um, opposite ends of the spectrum. Really, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I actually feel that the Stripe layoffs, and I, you know, I, I, I don't want to minimize at all the uh, the impact to the employees certainly, and I don't want to lionize the company, but I thought they were well handled. Yeah, I thought they were well handled too, um, and I saw some commentary afterwards, sort of saying, you know, sure these were well handled, but it was also leadership the same leadership that is executing that layoff that brought the company to that point. So now are we praising these folks who for kind of handling well a situation of their own creation? Right. And I think yeah, that's tough, right? Because yeah. I, I, because I, you don't, on the one hand, no, you don't want to overly praise it. Certainly. On the other hand, like if you also want to recognize that there are differences here, and you know we want to encourage the Patrick Paulson behavior over the Elon Musk behavior for sure, right? Yeah, yeah no, I, absolutely, unequivocally, yes. Uh, and there are right ways to do things, and there are wrong ways to do things. Um, and certainly the the Twitter layoffs, like I, I can't, are, are sort of unimaginably wrong. <laughs> I mean, short of murdering your employees. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I had not really thought of that as like an alternative, I guess, for this kind of dystopic company that you want to run someday. Right. As a, it, it, you know, stopping short of that, it's hard to imagine 
what you could do that would be worse than than Twitter. Well, you, you know what they did actually it was worse even than I thought. You saw this thing where they said to some Twitter said to some employees, "Whoops, actually, can you come back?" Oh yeah, which is yeah. actually worse, right? Like, <laughs> which, oh, for sure, worse. Which which means like not only was this capricious and arbitrary and poorly handled, but actually it was a mistake and some sort of clerical error. Right, which is like, wow. Now, I, where do we start with that? I, I don't even know. I don't even know if it was whoops. Can you come <laughs> back? Right. I think it was just more like, hey, can you come back? They're right. There was no. Out. There was no apology. There, oh, there the, was no. The, there was definitely error. No. So I don't know if you follow Gergely Orosh. I'm probably butchering that name. It's Hungarian, so I know I'm getting it wrong. Um, who do you know? I think. Do you follow him, Adam? I don't know. Um, this is a terrific follow. Um, so it was at Uber, um, and it wrote a really interesting blog post about being at Uber. Um, and has got a lot of insiders, uh, talking to him from a bunch of different companies. Um, and what he tweeted, uh, not long ago, just a couple of hours ago is that the, uh, they got the software engineers who got the call. So several people were let go on Friday. I'm reading from the tweet now. Then asked to come back. We're given less than an hour as a deadline. Software engineers who got this call, I know of, all said no. <laughs> Maybe some additional words. And the only ones who could eventually say yes are visas. Um, I want to talk about that in a second. Um, many people got a phone call with this quote-unquote offer and a short deadline. Lots of people stopped answering un- unknown numbers to avoid this. Inside Twitter, managers, managers I hear are getting desperate, trying to call back more people. People are saying no, and more senior engineers are quitting. Um, and then uh, just because it's on point, it just is, this is a tweet thread from his. None of this is surprising. As a rule of thumb, after you lay off X percent of people, you get an additional half attrition. Lay off 10%, expect another 5% to quit. Lay off 50%, not unreasonable, expect another 25% to quit. I don't heard that rule of thumb, but boy, that definitely rings true. Yeah, definitely. I hadn't heard that before, but that's what it felt like, certainly with Twitter. Uh, and based on, you know, again, not my personal experience. Like I, I asked you about Joyant and executing a layoff. I've never had to execute a layoff. I, you know, at Sun, we went through many rounds of layoff during many, the dark, many, 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 dark many. times yeah. uh, from, you know, I joined in 2001. You had had layoffs, I think, prior to that as well. In fact, when I joined, there were folks who I had gone to school with who, who had joined a year previously who had been laid off, which made for very awkward conversations. Yeah. And so when you joined, it was um, we were because we had done layoffs. And to his credit, I think McNeely really wanted to avoid layoffs. Um, and was trying everything to avoid them. They became unavoidable. He had, we had started laying off folks inside a sun and uh, it was very hard to get someone hired when we were doing layoffs as you can yeah. imagine. Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember, uh, you know, your app, like getting you hired required, uh, you know, basically McNeely level authorization for the offer, which was not, yeah. not uh, the norm needless to say for sun. Um, and I remember that the so do you, do you remember the obits? I was going to ask you about this. Um, I remember we had the obit list, like looking through the LDAP database. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, that we had the because I think and, and you you heard this a little bit with the, the with the absolute chaos inside of Twitter. This is the kind of thing you'd be interesting to get color on inside of Stripe. But the one of the, the the challenges that you've got everyone when there's a layoff, everyone wants to know who's been impacted. And not just merely from a, 
the, 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 you know, the self-centric point of view of like, do I need to go look for a job? But like, I am working with this person or this group on this issue. And like, I need to go to, like, I need to do that work today. Right. Are the they there? That's right. The pragmatic is the like non-response on Slack because this person no longer works here. <laughs> right. Right. And that's like a very real issue. And I think, think that uh I, did you see that twitter had turned off their 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 uh, employee database no uh, i didn't uh, yeah. see that wow yeah they shut off their employee database but no one could get access to knowing who's an employee or not so nobody had the ability to know what was going on and it's very hard because you want to on the one hand those who are affected you really want them to hear it directly from their you know the people who bear responsibility for this you know the ones who Got them in, got the company into the pickle and bear responsibility, the executive leadership, you, the CEO. You really want them to be able to look these folks in the eye and explain what has happened. But at a, in a large layoff, and you need to do that massively in parallel, it's really, really hard to do. And you also need to communicate to everybody else. It is, uh, it's a hard problem to solve for sure. Yeah. And, and there are two important parts of what you just said. One is that sort of uh, just doing the right thing, human interaction of saying I erred and I'm going to look you in the eye or I'm, you know, do the digital equivalent and, and kind of do, do as right as I can. But the other part of getting people into the, getting these companies into the pickle, uh, it, you know, it, it feels almost endemic or it feels like perhaps it's been endemic, especially at big tech companies. Like, you know, I asked you the other day, name yeah. a big tech company that doesn't feel bloated that doesn't that feels lean that feels like it is hired appropriately and it's hard to come up with one it is hard to come up with one that you've heard of yeah i mean <laughs> i think it, it, no i mean it, it, I, I mean that not, not necessarily glibly i think that like the companies that have stayed lean probably do so with a lower profile um and yeah high profile companies it's and and i do wonder i'd be i would love to get you know We've got some serious veterans in the room. We'd love to, you know, those of you who want to chime in, definitely volunteer to speak here. But um, I, you know, Steve, you and I and Adam, too, when we're all children of the dot-com bust at some level. And Adam, I don't know. I mean, when you went to Delphix, did the layoffs that you endured at Sun, did that guide you in terms of the way you hired at Delphix? So uh, definitely. So I, I joined Delphix and became CTO. So, was, you know, co-running an organization of... Uh, like over a hundred, like 125, I think at its peak when I left. And um, certainly I had had this experience at Sun, but then the uh, founder, uh, co-founder and CEO, Jed Yua, had founded a previous company, Avamar, and gone through several rounds of layoffs. And it was awful. And, in, yeah. you know, I mean, for, it's awful for all the reasons it's awful. And he hated it for all the reasons that one would hate it. And almost to a fault, um, we were very cash conscious, like, yeah. like, um, you know, I feel like some was a pretty cash conscious company and, and, um, <laughs> well, by the time I joined, there was no cash left. Yes. And they, were taking <laughs> away our, and they were taking away our Wednesday morning donuts. Yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, we were, uh, you know, Jed with every round of VC funding, he wanted to get us to profitability or at least to cash flow positivity. And, um, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, often not realistically, but did everything in his power to avoid a layoff. And to his credit, yeah. he did. And, you know, we, we yeah. you know, sometimes it's we nice. had to be very lean and, and, and targeted. Um, but 
under his tenure never had to do it. Except I would say they brought in a, they brought in a new CEO later who overhired hired way ahead of revenue, brought and then brought Jed back as CEO. And one of the first things he had to do was a layoff, oh, which is just got to be gutting for him. A oh, person who probably who sat on the board watched you know this uh, the spending, which clearly he wouldn't have agreed with. And then need to come in to clean up the mess. Just got to be tough. That's got to be really tough. And I mean, certainly I carried that. I mean, I am like Jed in that I, I mean, we endured, I was going to go count it. And then I'm like, this is going to depress me too much to count the number of layoffs that we had at Sun. But it's a large number. I mean, we were, you know, it, it, it is, you know, 15 plus layoffs um, over from the course of, say, the first one probably would have been um, in 2000, 2001. Uh, and it, no, no, it would have been 2000. It would have been 2001, and then all the way through to to the end um, when when we were devoured um, in 2009. But you know, at, for me personally, I, that definitely affected the way I hired for sure. And for years, I in my I w- always thought about my organization mentally of like if I were asked to do a layoff, what would it look like? Which is a terrible thing to think of. And you don't want to think that way at all. Um, and but when you've endured this, it really is it's 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 scarring. Yeah, yeah. It's both how you construct an organization, but also the ambition of the organization, right? The kinds of projects you take on, uh, the ways that you focus, the ways that you say no, and and I also get the tension, right? Like at a place like Stripe or or Meta, where you think the money's going to be free forever. Yeah, uh, you know, if we don't rush to cover some particular space, then we might get shut out, and it really erodes that discipline of of being able to say no to projects. And actually, same thing at Sun, right? That that that's by and large how Sun, and maybe I'm replaying history. How no, how no, 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 in that spot. That, I think you are exactly right. And I because did you? I know that you that, that I we had this spontaneous Twitter space um, when Elon took over. Uh, Twitter on that Thursday night, um, and because you, and you listened to that, right? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of the it, like editing and recording it. Yeah, yeah. And so, did you hear Charity had a really, really, really good point that I on re-listening, and I'm like, boy, we, we should really expand on that. That where she said that part of the problem with these companies is that there's a fundamental conflict aversion, so people don't want to make the hard decisions, and they've got the economic they 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 have such a, a sufficient economic base to be able to say yes and. And so, like, oh yeah, instead of doing that or this, we're actually going to do both of them. Yeah. And it's like, but it makes no sense to do both of these things. Like, the, you should actually do one or the other. Like, why are we doing both of these? And I feel that that was a really good point. That I feel is so. To your point, I feel we saw that a lot at Sun, and I feel we've seen a lot of these other tech companies, which is part of the reason why the other problem with these layoffs, and I've got no idea. I can't speak to how it was on internally at Stripe. But I think one of the things that gets really frustrating when you're in a layoff is I'm, – I'm not sure if we coined – peanut butter layoff, is that a term that exists outside of Sun? I mean, maybe it is. Is that an obvious thing? Do you I, know, I've, heard, I've heard it from other tech companies. But, yeah. So, but so one's they, actually also – like VMware, which is also I feel like in the Sun lexicon uh, like tree, like family tree. Like they say a lot of stuff that we used to say. Yeah, so I don't know where that comes from, but you know what I mean in terms of a peanut butter layoff. Of yeah, like, just like gonna, a little bit from each group, right? A little sure. bit from each group, right. right. And when you've worked at a company that's a yes and company, that's like, but we've got a bunch of these things that don't make sense. Like, we actually need to stop doing 
these three things don't make sense and we need to stop doing them. Um, instead, you're kind of taking something out of everybody, which can, and I also, I mean, uh, tr truthfully, early at Sun, the early layoffs were pretty easy because there, you know, there'd been a, a lot of reckless growth and the, the, you know, it was pretty easy to find the things that, that we needed to not do. And you, so it is kind of like, you know, it's, and people were kind of feel happy to be laid off because, you know, the job market was still hot, but as like, you get to the, you know, the second layoff, third layoff, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and you're going into like, yeah, now we're getting into muscle and more muscle and like, Oh, bone, that's definitely bone. And like, Oh, that was a limb that we just sawed off. Um, you know, you're getting deeper and, and, and deeper and deeper. I think then, then when you're going peanut butter and you're not making hard decisions, that is a, that, that's a major, uh, that's a problem. It's super frustrating for makes morale, I think even worse than it would be otherwise. Which is, right. no, that just compounds Cherry's point about the aversion to making these hard decisions. Cause, cause saying we're going to take five or 10 or 15% from everywhere is kicking that can down the road. And it's the opposite of focus, right? I, 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 I think yeah, I learned this totally. quote from you, Brian, where you said, focus is what you don't do. Like That's focus right. is determining the things you're not going to do. And it, if, if that is the root of the problem, that, then you're just avoiding the root. Well, and that's not for me. That's from Steve Jobs in his WWDC 1997 keynote. That's him returning to Apple saying, focus is saying no and saying, here are the things we're not going to do. And, you know, if people haven't seen that keynote, it is mesmerizing. Um, and it's, you know, I, have you watched that keynote recently, by the way? No, I haven't. Have you seen it? I mean, it's, it is, it's kind of amazing. And first of all, you, you forget what a kind of a big dude Steve Jobs was. Like, he was, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he was not, he's big, he's healthy. And then you also, I think, forget, I, I, I really actually, you know, I feel like we've talked a lot about jobs in this rightfully so, but we, and Steve Jobs is the next big thing, obviously, you know, I think Jobs is a complicated figure. There's a great humanity to him that I feel has gotten forgotten by some of those who believe they are propo proponents of kind of his way of thinking when they're propo proposing something that's pretty barbaric. Um, I mean, I could not, and I'm sorry to just, did you see DHH's thing? Are we just, are we getting, sorry. Uh, you know, uh, I, I did, and I, I, but I, but I couldn't tell you what it was. Comparing Musk's, Musk coming to Twitter with Jobs' return to Apple. And it's like, are you fucking kidding? Oh my goodness. No, I didn't see that one. I, I think I saw a different, uh, in, the, in the words of our guest, uh, Steve O'Grady last week or the week before, uh, hustle porn. <laughs> DHH kind of talking about, you know, focus and hard driving and, and uh, that kind of baloney. You, you know the term that I love for that? Have you heard broetry? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I think broetry is a great one. But the, uh, yeah, no, that was just totally nauseating. And that keynote is worth watching because Jobs is talking about doing some really tough things. But he's not letting go of his fundamental humanity of like, this is like, I get like, people are you know, uh, we, we kind of done a disservice to the, this group by not being direct with them. And yeah, like, you know, the fact that, and uh, he wasn't conducting a layoff in that keynote, but more talking about things that they weren't going to go do. But I think like, you cannot lose track of the fact that you've got a human being on the other side of this, someone with kids and potentially with a, with a family or with a spouse or with, with responsibilities and a meal, someone who's going to be, who's got like, going to have a lot of anxiety about what's next. And, I do feel that that it, it, and it's hard 
Um, but you, you cannot lose track of that humanity. And I definitely feel we, we, we've seen some people lose track of that humanity. Certainly at, at, uh, the Twitter layoffs could not have been more inhumane. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, to that point, I mean, I assume you feel the same way, Brian, but when, one of the reasons I wanted to always avoid a layoff and be, be cautious of that was that I didn't just feel like I had a commitment to the person, but that they had made a commitment to me, that there was this bilateral relationship between employer and employee. And this is not like the libertarian and Rand view of the world. This is kind of a a softer, I think more empathetic view, but um, to just like say we're, we're, we're trimming folks, we're cutting folks is so dehumanizing for these folks who believed in you, believed in the vision, believed in the company and and in off in many cases took risks or made sacrifices to do that totally and i i totally agree with you but the youth like it's it's a struggle to find actually the, a euphemism that's not demeaning i mean clearly like trimming is you, you know, there are lots of like demeaning i mean and i feel like you know right sizing was something that was kind of that's where <laughs> yeah. we saw i don't know if you remember that one from like yeah, the yeah, 90s yeah. Yeah, like, oh god i mean oh god just nauseating um, I mean, it's hard to find any kind of tone more demeaning than what what Twitter took. Um, I, so on that note, something I liked that I don't think I've seen before. Again, I'm not trying to lionize them, but something I liked about what Stripe had done is that the uh, establishing an alumni email address. I thought that was really interesting. Did you see that? What did you think of that? I, I I think that's great. I think having like, I mean, and it also speaks to uh, sort of every ex Stripe person I've ever met. It's sort of like. They, they do have this almost collegiate kind of um, feelings towards Stripe. I'm sure like lots of folks leave on bad terms, but I don't know that I've ever met them. Like uh, most of the ex-Stripe folks I've met sort of want that association. Yeah. And I think, I mean, on the one hand, you know, alumni, there's a bit of a euphemism there too. It's like, hey, pal, I didn't graduate. You fucking fired me. Like, <laughs> I, 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 sorry, where's my cap and gown? Could someone, you know... The um, so I, on the one hand, you know, but on the other, it's like it is saying that hey, like you are you for a portion of your career, you were a part of this effort, and you should be able to have your your head held high for your role in this effort. And I want to support the fact that that you that you were a part of this, and I can't do it economically. I mean, this is where you know people I think can rightfully criticize Stripe for hey, did, is this something that they actually had to do? Were they economically, did they have any alternative? Um, because for me personally, I will say that like, and, and this would be the thing that would be kind of interesting to know. I mean, for me personally, I will avoid a layoff. I, I mean, I will try. I mean, we will, I, I will do in my career whatever I can possibly do to avoid a layoff. Um, and I know probably to a fault, which is part of the reason why I end up being very depression era about the way I hire uh, the way we hire, I should say, Steve. I, I think I'm gonna. I think I can safely speak on behalf of you when I say that uh, that you and I have the same disposition in that. Um, but Steve, you you had to actually lay a bunch of folks off at Joyent. Um, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, that that was uh, that was not fun. We had a couple of rounds of layoffs at Joyent, and uh, they kind of tracked to a couple different eras in the company. So. Um, the, the first that we had, um, that stemmed from, you know, kind of a similar behavior to what we've seen in certainly the cloud SaaS space, but, you know, in, in most every industry when money was free and the 
incentive structure from investors was growth at any cost. So you almost it it wasn't even that there was uh, that it made sense to grow companies quickly. I think you could also argue that the investors in these companies would punish companies that were not growing fast enough, even or that were not growing too yeah. fast. Yeah. Um, and that's to take nothing. I mean, that's to 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 excuse away none of how we got here in in a bunch of places. But in um, <clears throat> in that in the first couple of years while we were at Joint. Uh, the, there, there was a, a, a push to grow the company internationally and, uh, <laughs> suffice it to oh, say, uh, I think one of the biggest, one of the, one of the, the big flaws in, in, in hindsight there was also kind of felt in real time, but was that there was not real product market fit for the yeah. product. And there was a bunch of organizational building, to go sell the product that was going to be a fit for this this market um and so that meant yeah and there's you know there's also probably good ways and bad ways you can do that and i think we probably demonstrated more on the latter which uh involved you know setting up beachheads in kind of major parts of the world and getting glistening offices and uh, and, and kind of staffing up with a lot of sales and go to market folks, all kind of readying for, uh, for, for this enterprise software product. And, and to be clear, we were not founders of Joyant. Sometimes this question so like, it's something very, very, very clear. <laughs> we were not founders. Of These are not decisions that Steve and I made. We were yeah. the ones left to clean it up. So the the uh, the first layoff was was particular. I mean, they're all. I mean, it's just it's 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 really tough uh, always. And I was just even less prepared for the first one because um, a I'd never laid anyone off before. Never never been part of the process of of that happening. Um, and it was just kind of a directive from on high of like you know here here's the packet and you kind of need to go travel around the world and, and kind of let these teams know that they're going to be let go and did um, we have a ceo at this time or was this were you reporting to the chair at this point this was reporting to the chair this is the office yeah. of the ceo that we were reporting yeah. to and yeah. uh so chair uh chair so, gave a, a couple of folders to uh to 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 march off with and i was sick to my stomach i mean it was such an awful feeling uh, kind of being the harbinger of w what was to come and, you know, having to go out there and, you know, sit down. These folks, of course, are already twitchy because things had not been going well in the company um, and it, having to kind of go through conversation after conversation and was pretty ill prepared for it because I had not gone through it before and probably did a bunch of things uh, or certainly could have done things better. Um but just was, um, you know, it was, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. And, and it affected a bunch of folks. Um, and then we kind of got through that period. New CEO came in um, and we, you know, company got kind of back on a, a growth trajectory. Um, New CEO came in after a six month protracted search where you and I <laughs> learned where we, we learned the type of CEOs that are attracted to a company that doesn't have a CEO, which is to say not great CEOs. We actually, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh, we got very lucky actually. And ultimately the CEO we got actually was, was, was very good for the company and very, very earnest, heartfelt guy. And, 
but it was a protracted period where there was no one in charge. But I think like the, cause we, I mean, you were talking earlier about <clears throat> the, these things that sometimes kind of get, um, they get kind of pulled together, which is, uh, how you ended up in a position where you had to lay people off and then how you actually, how you go through and, and deal with, uh, the, 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 the layoffs themselves. And I think it is helpful to kind of pull those apart. And over time I began to appreciate that, like, regardless of why you're here, you know, the, the, focusing first and foremost on how you go about it and, uh, is, is so important. And also, you know, I think we're seeing some of this now where you've got companies that are saying like, Hey, sorry, business was inefficient. We had to move quickly, made a, you know, unlike others, we can make clear cut decisions and move fast. Um, and you know, what you kind of begin to appreciate is that like being decent, like not only is it the right thing to do, but it's like not expensive. Yeah. Like it, it, it really isn't costly in time. And in the, in the grand scheme of things, when you're having to doubt, when the business has to kind of change in shape and size to be able to accommodate whatever got you there, whether it was economic downturn, a bunch of customers going away, over hiring too fast in a period in which, you know, you thought like the, 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 something was never going to end. Um, like actually being thoughtful about how you are communicating and engaging with folks and then how you're going to compensate people. But also I, I really, you know, like you all did appreciated sort of the stripe approach of making sure that, you know, folks understood, like, where do I go when I have questions and, and are, are there people that can help me as I'm trying to figure out what the transition looks like? And, uh, you know, again, kind of honoring folks for their contribution and being part of Stripe long after they've left. Um, but it's, it, it is, you know, you, and, and it's funny because if you actually are decent, and you, you know, got, God forbid, generous, but, you know, if you're just decent with folks, if you did have to call folks and say like, hey, things have changed a bit and we might actually be able to add some folks back to the organization, which again, totally atrocious, just how bungled this whole Twitter situation was. But if you're decent with folks on the way out, there is a chance folks might be interested in like coming back yeah. to the organization, yeah. whether it's yeah. in a day, a week, a month, a quarter, a year. And I think there's there's people that have been through ups and downs in business that, you know, it doesn't take too many turns in in business to appreciate that it's just like a small world. Yeah, I think and, that's right, Steve. And, and, the, and the people to whom you're being decent, I think that that fulfills one obligation, but it also shows the people who you're trying to retain the character of the company. Yeah. And yeah. And, and to, to kind of minimize that extra 50% that would self-select, you know, after the intended, however much. Yeah. You know, have you read the, the hard thing about hard things? Not, not that I'm a, I, I, I'm not a, I'm a obviously. Yeah. yeah, no, I actually read it years ago. Yeah. You know, I, the Hebrew count. So it's Ben Horowitz's book. I'm not, I, I'm not a fan at all of their, of the, the VC firm, A16Z, but I do, the, the book is actually, it's, it's pretty interesting. You know, there, there are interesting passages in it. And one of which I, that I definitely admire is when they need to do a, a, I mean, a 
gutting series of layoffs at LoudCloud. This is a company that needed to IPO in order to make payroll. Um, so, I mean, you can only imagine the anxiety involved in that. And they, they definitely needed to do multiple layoffs. And I, I don't think I'm imagining it on my copy in front of me, but he describes actually helping people pack their things up and walking them out to the parking lot with them. And, and he's, you know, like tears all around. And I feel that like, Steve, this is what you're talking about. Like, that's not an expensive act to have the CEO help you pack. That does not cost anything. But that is a, you know, there, there's a sense of, of, of decency there and responsibility of like, I recognize the magnitude of what's just happened to you. And I am, I'm going to walk with you. I, I can't continue to employ you, but I, I recognize what's happened here. And I recognize the humanity of it. Yeah. And I can't, I mean, I can't speak to massive organizations where I understand this is not scalable and perhaps not feasible, but I was in the room talking to the person every single time with everyone affected over the course of Joyant. And, you know, I think uh, if that can't be the case because an organization is too big, you damn well better make sure that you've got, you know, the, the person responsible for this next big part of the organization that is actually in the room and, 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 you know, looking the person in the eye and making sure to be clear about, you know, how you got here and what's happening and answering questions. And, uh, and then, you know, then you can take it all the way down to the absolute worst possible way, which is an unnamed email that goes out to, you know, 10,000 folks or whatever the case may be. Not even signed with a name in the Twitter layoff. So gross. So it, I mean, just despicable, cowardly. I mean, I, I run out of words to describe how thoroughly disgusting it is to have a mass layoff that signs it. I mean, sincerely, Twitter. Sorry, it's like Twitter is actually. Sorry, it's actually not a thing. Like, who are put your name next to it, you coward? And that was, I mean, so gross, so gross. And um, you know, I, I think that just Steve, to your point of like, make damn sure that you got somebody who is really taking responsibility for it, and then also like not just. You know, when you talk about, you know, I, I take responsibility for, you know, I, for the mistakes that were made. Like, all right, great. Like, what does that actually mean? Be, be ready to make that concrete. Even showing what the work was, you know, we thought because, uh, you know, we thought that these deals were going to come in, but they didn't. Or the macroeconomic right. conditions affected us in these ways. But at least give people something and it to doesn't not take just much. feel like they wasted it. it. it exactly. Like exactly. two sentences can mean so much to somebody who is grappling for like you know, trying to understand how much of it was about them, how much of it was about things. But so often these things are completely opaque. Totally. And you've got an HR person that is sitting in a room just kind of like, okay, so, uh, you know, here's where your, your, your check is going to show up and you can call this hotline if you have questions on this. And, and here's uh, your Cobra forms. Yeah. Yeah. Here's your Cobra form. And, uh, you know, just let us know if you need anything. And, and again, I, 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 it's, it is not expensive to add, like you said, Adam, just a little bit of context. And you do that, and now it just gives that person, and I mean, not in all cases, but it is just, it, it can be very, very helpful mentally. And then, you know, go farther than that. But, but that kind of candor and transparency uh, just, just is, is, is really, really helpful. Yeah. Tom, you're here. You've been a veteran of so much in Silicon Valley. <laughs> You've seen so much. 
Um, I'm sure you've been at, uh, I know you left Sun before the, before the layoffs started, but I'm sure you've seen him play in your career. What are your thoughts? Well, I, uh, I've been involved two ways. At, at small startups, yeah, I've had to, being a founder, had to kind of jointly lay off with the CEO, lots of people. Um, but, you know, if you're open and transparent and everybody knows it's all coming anyway, so no one's surprised. And uh, I'm pretty, pretty sure at DriveScale, we had no hard feelings as we gradually shrank from 30 people at peak to 10 people. But that, it was very uh, difficult anyway. But my real horror story is with the very large company that I was employed with when the dot-com bubble crashed. Oh, and it was, it was getting ugly and we were asked to do stack rankings. Yeah, so that's all always fun trying to decide. You know, who, you know the the lifeboat exercise. It wasn't just the number of lines of code written. No, <laughs> amazingly, but and uh, I, I, let and, history reflect then, that Adam's making a Twitter reference that Adam does not believe this himself. Correct. Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's right. But but then there was an important offsite meeting, which on which I missed because of a family problem, and. There was no communication after, before, after, whatever about the meeting or what went on. And a few days later, I get a call from a guy who reported to me. I, I only had a handful of reports any, anyway. And he says, Tom, why did you fire me? I was like, what? I had no clue that they were actually going to fire the guy. Wow. And he reported directly to me. Oh, my God. So I was, I was so hopping mad, I couldn't even go into work for three, three days. And so, and Tom, how did they, I mean, you clearly confronted the, I mean, I, this, I mean, you're a member, I presumably of, te- of the, the leadership team and the, I mean, cause the, you couldn't make this offsite with their, I mean, how, when you confronted the other members of the leadership team, what did they say? What was their reaction? Oh, everyone sort of pointed fingers at everyone else for not communicating properly. And, uh, I, my direct boss, you know, I lost a lot of points with me because of that. Well, but, so this, uh, this is an important point, too. I think, Tom, that, like, you know, as, as you know for sure, but I feel I know, too. Adam knows, too. Steve knows, too. Like, careers are long, and careers last much longer than companies. And it, it, the, the, the people that you do the work with, those connections are really, really important, even if you need to economically part ways, as you're saying, the drive scale case, Tom, where it's like, look, we, everyone kind of knows that we're having a hard time. We're not hitting revenue targets. We need to – you want to like assume that you're going to want to be able to, to cross, paths, cross paths with one another, at least look one another in the eye you know, in 10 years when you're at a right. – but, right. but I feel like it, there's so many of these conditions – where you know you see a side of people that you didn't know existed and it becomes you know that rift becomes something that you can't actually bridge that that relationships are permanently damaged i mean i dare say you i mean i don't know maybe you have but i dare say that that had a a pretty lasting impact on your relationship with the person who made that decision at that company yeah if i could figure out who that was (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's you know it's the big company thing. There's some edict on high that gets filtered through seven levels of managers and HR departments. And, ugh. 
Oh man. So another point that I that I, I wanted to, to definitely make sure we hit on because I think that the in the, the Stripe email they do talk about this. Um, if you've got folks at your company in the U.S. who are on a visa, they're in a very different situation because when when they are no longer employed by you, they can no longer be in the U.S. on most visas, and uh, so you are actually not just changing their employer; you are potentially changing everything about their lives, where their kids go to school. You're changing the language they speak. You're changing. I mean, you could be, it could be. So I, I feel that you've really got to, and I thought it was interesting, Patrick Carlson, an immigrant, although you know, Musk is an immigrant too. So I guess that tells you nothing. But the fact that Carlson does, I feel that most layoff, layoffs have not called out visa holders in particular, because visa holders are in a different category. They should be thought of that way. And I don't know, Adam, did you? It, it, it's, it's, it's so rough. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience, Brian, much. I, I think you maybe have it, Oxide, but like even hiring folks for whom you need to make these uh, H-1B applications, I found extremely tense, you know, just because you're like, if I fuck this up or if the paperwork doesn't come yeah. through, or if the application doesn't come through, like, it's not like these people get to find a new job. It means they have to leave the country. Like, they have to leave their home to go back to the country of their citizenship, which, you know, is not necessarily the place they call home. Right. Uh, and they, they may have lived only a fraction of their lives there, frankly. Abso- may, absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, have, have, you know, apartments and friends and, and commitments and, and communities spouses potentially even you know still necessitating that kind of move anyway i find that very tense on the hiring side just to make sure i don't mess it up so i can't i mean just it's got to cause just so much pain and it's got to be such a source of constant uh fear i mean no other way to describe it um and and it creates such an asymmetric relationship totally with the employer Totally. And I think, I mean, you see this in general when you have, I mean, certainly I've been in organizations where it's like, uh, you know, someone might may think something was actually like, actually, I don't want to speak up because I'm actually here on a visa. And if they, if they lay me off, they at least, the WARN Act requires that I at least be employed because generally the way companies comply with the WARN Act is that they lay you off, but they continue to employ you for the duration of the WARN Act, generally 60 days in California. Uh, this is not legal advice. Adam's the one that gives you legal advice. <laughs> and Adam will give you the definitive legal advice there. But the, but if, whereas if you're fired, like you got to get on a plane tonight. And as a result, it is, Adam, just as what you say, it's, a, it's this asymmetry in the relationship that I think, you know, you know, we, I, I feel, my, my wife's an immigrant. I feel very strongly about the, about immigration. I feel very strongly about people being able to economically pursue their dreams and I think that we as employers have a, a responsibility to, to employ that, but then yes, but, but recognize that asymmetry in a relationship and recognize that if you're laying off someone on a visa, you've got a special, different responsibility to that person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, looks like we got some, some, uh, jo- some folks have joined us as speakers. Um, as Kelsey Hightower is fond of saying, uh, unmute yourself, introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Justin. I was just wanted to chime in on this like i've had a lot of people pretty close to me who are on h1b visas and it's really 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 stressful and i guess like a lot of the time when i've been talking to them it's 
you don't really think about it as like getting fired. You think about it as getting deported. Yep. Right? It is. And like, yep. Some of these people, like, like some of my friends, like they moved here when they were one. So they don't really have a life outside of being in the U S they've just, they don't have a green card. Right. And it's a, it's a long and arduous process. So like if they were to get deported, they'd be going back to a place that they've never even been before because they can't travel internationally. Otherwise they forfeit their green card application. So it's a really rough position to be in. And like, there is reminds me of a story about someone at Meta a couple of years ago who ended up committing suicide because like he, he was always being pushed harder because he was like on a, on a visa. So I think management felt like they could push him harder because they knew he couldn't leave. That is, I mean, that is just, I mean, that's sadistic. That is, yeah. th- 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 there's no other word for that. I mean, that is, that's that. And I would say that like, uh, that if, if you are someone in an organization that sees someone else engaging in that behavior, that's something that like, like that is not okay ever. And that's something that people should feel empowered to like put a stop to that. And if you can't put a stop to it, like you, you find a way to like to get attention on that issue because that is, you know, we, you know, if, if you are not someone who is here on a visa and don't suffer from that anxiety, you've got the luxury of, of knowing that like, well, if they fire me, I'll, I'll find another job. At least, you know, I, I, I won't have to be deported. And I, I feel that you've got a responsibility if you see that kind of behavior to put a stop to that's just despicable, man. Yeah. I, Brian, if I may just oh. one interjection, vote tomorrow. If you haven't voted, already. <laughs> please vote. For, I'm just mentioning that for no particular reason right now. No particular vote reason. Tomorrow. Yeah. I well, you know, it's actually, it's funny. So I was, uh, Bridget, uh, my, the, my wife returned home to or her mom is ailing. So she, uh, I was driving her to the airport last night uh, to go back to Australia to be with her mom and to kind of some, sort them some things out. And, you know, she's in the car uh, and she's like, you know, filling out her ballot because I'm dropping off her ballot tomorrow. And, you know, I, I was just like, you know, we've got all of this chaos of her, you know, I've got the three kids solo. So if you hear anything, if you hear me run away, it's because the, the house has begun to burn down. The um, but you know, got all these things that are required, and you know, it was great as she was just like grinding through all these like district judge. She's like, Adam. By the way, if you want to know uh, Bridget's perspective on the on the various like <laughs> oh. Bart commissioners, like you know, she's like all these things that are like down ballot for us. Um, and um, you know, it was just a reminder about how. You know, for her, who's she's a naturalized citizen, and you know, her goal was to become a citizen in time to vote in the 2008 presidential election. Um, for her, the, the I mean, voting is is something, and our our 18 year old is going to vote for the first time tomorrow. Um, it is really, really important to vote. I, I just I thank you, Adam, for reminding us how important that is. Um, and I think for her, getting agency over her own fate by being able to cast that ballot. And this is a good reminder to me: do not forget to drop off Bridget's ballot. Do not forget. To drop off. <laughs> Would you just remind me tomorrow, Adam? Yes. Please. Yes, I will. Actually, yeah. I was like I'm a little terrified. She's like, "All right, I'm leaving this thing with you." I'm like, "All right, guys, this the oh, okay." Do not forget to do not forget to drop off Bridget's ballot. Um, but yeah, that's a great reminder. Uh, we had another person. Yeah, Matthew. Matthew. Hey, everyone. Yeah, my name is uh, Matthew Sanabria. Sorry, I joined a little a little late. I was in the middle of uh, coding some stuff and I got distracted. But yeah, uh, y'all bring up a good good point with like layoffs and visas and all of that. And it reminded me of the story with my my first layoff. Like the point I I like to to tell everyone is like treat 
your employees like like people, right? Remi- remember that everyone you work just with like people. <laughs> just like people. Just like people. People, right? They're humans. They are people. They have lives, right? You have to take that in- into consideration. And it reminds me of the time when I was working for a startup called Wicker. It was like a um, secure messaging app. Um, and it was my first startup ever working for. And then we were about 70 employees. And they told us, hey, we're going to have this this all-hands meeting. And we don't have the space to to have everyone in one conference room. So we're going to split you off the no. two different conference rooms. No. And I was like, okay, no problem. Like, let's let's all split no. off. Oh, no. So I, I go into this conference room and I'm like, wait a minute. Why do they have the nicer conference room up there with the TV? What's going on? Where's When's the meeting going to start? And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, you've all, everyone in this room, you no longer have a job here. Uh, stay around and we'll give you a packet of information of what you can do next and you can't go back to your desks to get your things we'll collect them for you and bring you outside have a great day and it was just this line of people myself included just getting handed an envelope and just like walked out the door oh my it was god just, like it was so devastating i was like a fresh college graduate at that point and i was like uh what do I do now? Yeah, like, I don't do this anymore. Yeah. So, so, Matthew, first of all, I've got many questions. One, how many of the vowels were stripped out of Wicker? Because I assume as it... Well, I, 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 yeah, right. <laughs> that, that, there's no <laughs> way that they had actually all the vowels. Right. So, that good. Got, got asked and answered on that one. Um, but how old were you, if you don't mind me asking? Because this is early in your career this is happening, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. So, this was about, I think, 2015-ish or seven years ago. So, yeah, it was about 22, 23, I think. Oh, that, my that God. Realm, yeah, that realm. And so, yeah, you know, big boy job, I guess you can say. Oh, my God. And you are thinking like, hey, I've only I mean, so you probably hadn't been working there for very long, obviously. I mean, yeah, been there for maybe a year or two months, maybe 11 months or something like that. Right. You know, the startup life. And I I had no idea, like, you know, hey, startups can run out of money. Startups can are, are pretty risky. I was just happy to be in this hip new office with a with a beer keg. Right. Like, right. Right. Right, right. In hindsight, uh, uh, those yeah, some exactly. of the discussions. Right, 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 right. Uh, and okay, so did that. Um, now that is, I, I think, also in 2015. That is, um, you know, this bubble has gone on for so long. That is, I mean, presumably you were able to find, especially if you were technical. I'm sure you were able to find work pretty quickly. Um, yeah, I had right? the benefit of being uh, very close to New York City, which had like a very large tech industry at the time too. So I was able to find work pretty quickly, but the shock was was pretty interesting. I, went, I remember going home to my dad, and mind you, my parents, like only one of them graduated high school, so no college degree or nothing. And I was just like, right. hey, dad, uh, so I don't have a job anymore. And he and he just looked at me like, oh, like that's life, buddy, right? He just gave me the look like, hey, you <laughs> know, I, I know how you feel, uh, you know, take huh. the weekend and go, go, go hunting next week, you know? And it was just that- like... The normalcy kind of shocked me, right? It's like it was normal almost to him in that sense. You know what I mean? That's interesting. And did that? I mean, that probably helped actually that you that you felt like, all right, I guess I, you know, I I don't need to like I, I don't need to let this erode my own self worth. I can actually get back on the horse and and go look for for work. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It does help from that perspective. It's like, hey, you know, you, you don't suck. It's just the nature of business, and things happen. You know, things happen. So go. Don't let it push you back more than it needs to right that's kind of what what he gave me that and so the other question i've got for you is did that affect your has that affected your career in terms of the way you do think about organizations that are kind of growing in a slipshod manner do you think to yourself like hey look, let's not create a situation where we have two conference rooms for the all hands please 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, from an employee perspective, I definitely try to encourage like my team and whatnot to remember that like treat each other like we're human beings, you know, give them the respect they deserve. And from a job hunting perspective, I'm I'm definitely careful of of companies that I go to, right? Like it's always it's nice to be able to work for a, a flashy startup that's doing really cool things, but I'm the only like I'm the primary source of income for our household right now. My wife's, yeah. you know, starting her own business and trying to get her her chocolate business going. And like, I need to be careful. I can't just go to a, to a startup somewhere that even if they have really good work, I need to think about these things. Cause I've been, I've been in this position before and I don't want to have to like be forced to look for a job because I've been laid off or something, you know? So that, that's, and, and has that affected the kind of job that you take within a company? Um, I can't say specifically, I definitely uh, try to focus on, you know, things that, I have enough skills to, to meet the demand of the job, right? Like sometimes when you're looking for a job, you might stretch a little bit and take a job that you're maybe not so qualified for, but you can grow into. I would say that's the effect that it had on me. I don't, I don't, I'm careful not to really take a job that I have to stretch too much for because just in case you're not able to meet that, that can be a problem, right? Like it's, yeah, just, it's, something, that, it's something that stays in the back of my head, right? Like when I'm, when I'm looking. Well, so I'll, I'll tell you the, the impact it had on me when I was early in my career, and I was kind of remarking about the the and actually in particular, I think this was talking about uh, t- about Deck and a colleague of ours who worked at Deck. We talked about Deck before, and you know his line about Deck, which he said had way too many people, and he said you would open up a closet and there would be like thirty people huddled inside the closet, all saying shh. Um, and uh, and I remember talking about that at the time, super young, um, and talking about that with Kevin Clark, who was the one of the engineers I was working with at Sun. And Kevin gave me some. He's like, "Let me give you some advice. Don't get too far away from the revenue. Stay close to the revenue, kid." And I thought that was interesting advice. You know that you and not that you know. I, I don't think you want to adhere to that at all times. But I do think I don't know. Adam, what do you, I don't know. If you probably haven't heard that. I, I, I don't know if I've recalled that to you before. Um, no, you know what? I, I think I had a different kind of advice, uh, like through my folks, and, and in particular, looking at. I, I remember looking at it through the lens of a company like Pixar, which was some something sort of in my job prospects, at least at some point, you know, kind of junior year, thinking about it, and thinking about because there are lots of great technologists at Pixar, but ultimately they don't sell technology. They sell movies. Right. And so it, it, you, you know, the, I definitely was instilled with that kind of lens of looking for the place where you are at the intersection of the business, like not, not phrased as the revenue, but it does, which is not to say don't take those kind of gambles. Cause we kind of did with, with Fishworks at sun. Uh, I mean, I guess sure. arguably yeah. Solaris oh, for has sure, nothing for sure. to do with revenue. So maybe, maybe. No, no, I, I, like, I thought we were taking a huge risk. I mean, I felt like, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of look back, I'm just going to take the thing of this just recently that when Greg Papadopoulos gave us the green light, I remember saying, I'm taking the biggest risk of my career right now. And I kind of think back to that in hindsight and kind of roll my eyes. Like, <laughs> seriously, kid, that was the, the biggest risk of your career was like a different assignment within a company. Like, whoa, boy, risky career there. Right. But um, it was a big risk. It did feel like a big risk because we were doing, I was getting off the revenue effectively and i did feel like hey i mean it was a risk in that like this is you know we started that in 2006 there were plenty of layoffs still going around and i was always cognizant of the fact that we may wake up one morning and it's like yeah we're not doing this anymore sorry it's yeah. like uh we got too many mouths to feed yeah that's actually uh, really good advice sorry. by the way i'm yeah. sorry you go ahead, the, the, uh, the advice that you said about staying close to the revenue is it's actually really good and something that my coworker who's um 
she has like a, a she's been in the career longer than I have. And she told me the same thing. She's like, hey, you know, stay on the teams that make money. Yep. Those are the teams that businesses don't really cut um, as quickly as the other teams. And she's reminded me of that a few times, actually, now in my current role. And I, I think about that when I'm also looking at transfer or maybe looking for another role. I think about that as well. So yep. I yep. like that you brought that up. Before yep. we get to Horace, just one comment on that, because we talked about bloated tech companies. Um, you know, I, I'm one that I always think about in this context is Google, where you know, we were looking the other day in the office at a, at a breakdown of their revenue and their revenue is from ads. And then the second contender is like from a different kind of ads. Um, so there's a lot of stuff they do that's really far from the revenue. Um, I'm sure is ancillary supporting it or whatever, but um, you know, that's a company that always has felt like you've got the revenue stream and then you've got a lot of speculative bets um, not that speculative bets are bad, but easy to wander away from the revenue there. Well, and I think that, and I, and I think one of the challenges that probably Google's going to have to come to grips with is the, the folks that are on those ads teams. I mean, cause we've got a colleague who's on the ad team and I remember being like, wow, you must have, you got probably got whatever you wanted inside the company. It's like, well, you'd think so, but really, no, it was, we were really not thought of very highly. We were not, I mean, it's like, it was only responsible for all the revenue. Um, and <laughs> So, you know, I think inside of a company, too, you want to when you do have those groups that are responsible for the revenue, you want to be sure that those groups are uplifted and they understand their importance. And I mean, obviously, it's, you know, it's a shared endeavor. We're all working together. But boy, the ones that are really close to the revenue are really close to the customer um, are really, really important. And it's yet another kind of uh, axis of malpractice here with Twitter is the fact that Musk seems to be uh, really dismissive of the folks that are on the revenue. Um, and the, the, which is to say advertiser revenue and has really botched those relationships, which is part of the reason why we're beyond the, the <laughs> but, horizon I, there. Just, I mean, another side, but botched is putting it so mildly. <laughs> like if you, if you were like a terrorist trying to, right. you could not have been more effective. Slaughtered, detonated. I mean, English, I'm running out of words. I'm running out of words. <laughs> I know it's hard. Uh, Horace, uh, wait, wait, what's, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Hey, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yep, we can hear you. Awesome. Yeah, uh, remind me to get back to the Google. Uh, I want to talk about the Google thing a little bit, but I really came up here to kind of just give my give my perspective as an immigrant who was on a visa and kind of just give my perspective of like what it really feels like on firsthand because it's it can be nerve-wracking, like to say the least. Um, so there are many different types of visas. We talk about H1 a lot, um, but for example, in my case, um, I came. To, I was on on a student visa initially, and so with a student visa, it allows you to work for a specific uh, amount of time, and then you either need to transfer to another visa um, at H1B, which is a lottery, or do something else. And I rem well, most persons I remember um, leaving college and stuff like that, they can focus on doing what it is they love or going to, to an industry they like. They're like, like a lot of my friends, they went into game development and stuff like that. And I remember like for for me and for people like me, top of mind is always going to be like, all right, who who supports, who does visa sponsorships, who uh, offers a path to like say green cards or a path to who who will apply for my H1B and that kind of thing. And it makes it forever a pretty big difference because I remember, for example, I had an, I had an offer at a startup that um, that did health tech, and I was like pretty excited about that. But then uh, at the time, that was this was four years ago. Then Microsoft came along, and I'm like, well, Microsoft is the one I know will at least apply for yeah. my H1B and stuff like that. And so um, 
at that point it becomes a no contest it doesn't matter if i'll do more boring work or anything like that it's my future that i'm trying to secure and then it was the same thing again when i switched over um, because microsoft started dragging their feet with my green card process and i was like okay i heard i heard that google's process was really streamlined and pretty fast and so i i hopped out with a hopped over with a hesitation and i was i was fortunate fortunate enough that i was able to get my green card this year before the market like started this nosedive but I can tell you, if I if I hadn't gotten my permanent residency, I would be first. And even though like Google hasn't done any like, has, there's no like speculation about layoffs right now at Google. But just even even when there isn't speculation, there's always that consideration. If I hear that I'm fired today, I have sixty days to fi- figure out my life. Um, yeah, if you're laid off, you've got sixty days, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Totally. Oh my gosh! Wow. Well, first of all, congratulations on the green card. That is such a I'm yeah. Sure that would be a huge relief. Yeah, huge relief. I mean, and it, I think it is again. It is really hard for people who have not gone through this to understand the difference between. Uh, and I, Horace, I don't know if it was your experience as well. Certainly with my wife's experience, it's like the the uh, immigration treats you like a total asshole the entire time you're going through this process and then you get this fucking letter they have the audacity to send you this letter like welcome immigrants to this great country of immigrants you're like fuck you pal you have been like yeah, drop the fucking statue of liberty bullshit like i you have put me through the ringer for the last you know <laughs> two years three years five years ten years so um but I, yeah, I, for for me, David, it was it was a nice letter, but basically they said, "Remember to sign up for the select service um, system." And I was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> that's, that's all <laughs> oh yeah, did we not tell you about that? Right. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Oh, right, right, okay." I guess this is what I signed up for. Um, but yeah, no, and people also forget that sometimes, depending on the visa you're on, um, you're trapped in the U.S. or the, your your work situation, you can't leave the country um, for extended periods of time. So I wasn't able to leave the country for like a few years. Um, until I got my my green card was fully processed, um, and so yeah, so it's it's a it's a large it's a huge relief all all around, and I can't imagine what. So I even saw the pin tweet up here that says that only persons considered going back to Twitter are the ones who are on H yep. um, are on yep. visas, and like yeah, no, like again, it's one of those things that would be a no. It it, it even if I, I would hate to go back, but I definitely would. I I know if I was in that position, I definitely would. If it was between that or, or not having a job right now, I'd go back and start looking immediately. Yeah, printing those um, resumes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, honestly. Um, and then uh, read the Google thing. That uh, it was it was very interesting what you're talking about with that. So I'm in cloud, and so cloud has the of course has this interesting reputation internally where uh, where it's not it's not profitable as yet, um, and so. People are always like, oh, when is cloud going to be profitable? And it's like, is everyone in cloud worried? And then uh, the third quarter results came out and cloud is the only thing that's really growing a lot because ads was basically flat. And then ah. the sentiment kind of changed and everyone is like, uh, are there any roles in cloud? Because that's where people... Because <laughs> <laughs> <It, laughs> uh. the people are worried about where, where revenue is, being, is growing. But in terms of being away from the money, the good thing about Google is that um, there's a way to calculate the cost and impact of almost everything because, um, like internally, even if you are on, say, like an internal engineering prod team that just deals with like some of the internal systems, if you work on something that uh, it's easy enough to calculate cost savings, like say you work on something that saves some CPU cycles, saves some compute or saves some memory, that Google has a very nice way to translate that to real dollars in terms of operational costs saved and stuff like that so oh interesting it's, uh, so that way you still are able to 
attach yourself to the revenue in a certain sense. Um, so I think that's one of the good things about uh, the way in which Google has made all to their internal models, because of course, you know, there's, there's so many people working on just internal engineering um, tooling and uh, they're, yeah, it, because they still also need to be promoted and recognized. Google has invested over the years in, ter- in ways of, re- of uh, assigning dollar values to that essentially. Yeah, that's great, which is great. I think they'll give people also that kind of confidence that, hey, what I'm doing is at least important to have one in a meeting of directors. I have my director prevailed over other directors and put a larger number next to what I'm doing. But yeah, that's uh, th- that's a very good point in terms of, of finding ways to stay close to the revenue, even when what you're doing it is a longer term investment. It's kind of like some things we've, we've talked about in previous spaces. Uh, yeah, uh, no, uh, horse. Yeah, that's uh, incredible. Uh, thank you so much for uh, for sharing that. And again, congratulations again on on, on the green card. Um, it, it, Harry, uh, you, you would uh, ask to speak here. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I, I just uh, I can totally relate to what the very re- recent story is. I'm I'm also an immigrant. Um, I grew up in India and then moved to Australia. Became a citizen there. Now I live in. In, in Scotland, um, so yeah, totally, totally understand how that that sword hanging with a with a hairline on your head feels. Um, I, I had been listening to the whole discussion. Um, I think there is a there is a part that I feel is is missing. Like it's 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 good that we have. Uh, that we should treat each other as humans, we should uh, respect, but that just puts all the pressure on what on the other side is, who is running the company. Yeah, I think there is there is another aspect that we are kind of missing in this discussion is having a legal framework that does not allow. So you, you know, it's, it's one thing to don't work for assholes, but other thing is don't let people become assholes. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it like if it, what Elon is doing in in Twitter, like firing people on the spot and and not like the, you you can't change with with the legal framework, you cannot change the human aspect how you you can't force somebody to be nice, but what you can do is that they have to do the bare minimum. They have to give people enough time, they have to give the um, you know the minimum pay that when people leave. Um, I think that, that that is also important when we when we're talking about like you know employee rights or or, or layoffs. I think just, you're totally right. To raise that point. Yeah, it's a very good point, and I do think it's important. It actually maybe be fun to do it, that we should do it at a future space on the Warren Act, um, which is a California law. Um, New York has got similar law that dictates once a company is at a certain size and it is doing a layoff of a certain size, there are certain constraints. Um, and in particular, it has to give 60 days notice. Um, and now as a practical matter, as you, at least in the kind of work that, that for certainly for software engineering for IT work, you, no one is really comfortable giving people 60 days notice and having them continue to work for a company. Um, so that the, this is part of the reason why when those Twitter folks got three months of severance, uh, two months of that is actually mandated by statute in California. Um, and then Alon is acting like he's very generous by giving a third month, which is just ridiculous. Um, so there are some, I, I mean, to hear to your point, and I, th- and I think it's, you know, it's always interesting that uh, people kind of decry regulatory regime. I think it's interesting that the 
states that have got tremendous economic engines are the ones that often have those regulatory regimes. And the fact that, that California is an incredibly dynamic economy, big, diverse, deep economy with a lot of job creation, and also has this kind of regulatory uh, the regulation in place to, to prevent, uh, to, give, to give people at least time. Um, so I, I think it's a, it's a very, very good point for sure. Um, let's see who's next. I think, uh, maybe Francois, were you next? I, I have no idea, but I'm happy. I'm happy oh, yeah, to talk. And if somebody else is next, uh, yeah, no, do, it, do it. Yeah. Good, um, good to hear from I'm, you. I'm not going to beat the immigration dead horse, uh, <laughs> though. I will say that as an, you know, as an immigrant myself, I was on a visa from the age of 16 to the, to the age of 30. Um, and so I have a lot of empathy for all these folks. And I'll say to if any tech leaders are listening here, that you have a responsibility to, to these people. Um, I had to make many decisions in my career that, I, that were not optimal in order to kind of deal with the anxiety. Uh, but two, two points I wanted to make. The first one is, you know, I, as an engineer and also someone who thinks about budgets and headcounts and, and potentially, you know, in the future, maybe or maybe not, hopefully layoffs. Um, I think about how we should treat them as an incident. And I, I, I wish we didn't just see the letter that explains that it's happening, but I wish we saw more postmortems uh, because, because there's clearly something that went wrong when you, when you, when you did a layoff and, and, and there should be a step taken to avoid making the same mistake again. Um, and, and, you know, make them blameless, right? Like you don't necessarily have to name names, but do a postmortem, figure out what organizational failure got you there. Because ultimately, when you're running a company, you're, you're operating on a forecast. You have to be a little bit optimistic. That's your nature as an entrepreneur. And so sometimes your forecast will, will meet, the, will meet a, a harsh reality um, and, and a layoff will be inevitable. But but you have to you have to figure out how you're going to adjust your forecast moving forward, and I think you know I think about that a lot because I make forecasts and I make hiring decisions based on those forecasts, and 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 the only thing that I have is hope that I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that I uh, you were going to inter- interject. Well, well I, I just want to add. First of all, because I, I love this. This is such an interesting idea. Um, in my experience, those postmortems are always done as like business school case studies. Those are always done as, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but 10 years later. Yeah, and with 10 years later, exactly. Have you known, and by the way, there is, a, there is an absolute goldmine in business school case studies that not enough people read or pay attention to. Have you known any company that's done anything approaching this? It's a really intriguing idea. I just I, think that. I've never seen it. I, I've never seen it, and I, I you know, Thankfully, I've never had to do a layoff myself. So at the moment in my life, it's at the stage of theory. And I frankly, I hope it will stay there. Um, but maybe perhaps other people have seen it, like a, a true account of what went wrong and what steps are taken moving forward to not make the mistake again. I think that'd be fascinating. It'd be fascinating if few folks have seen them. I'd love to read them. Where I have seen them, it has been in business school case studies. And actually, when we started Oxide, I, as you know, I know Adam has heard me say more than once, I feel like the best eight bucks that I ever spent in my life was the Stanford Graduate School of Business uh, had did a case study on Nebula, which is a, a company that had a kind of similar mission to Oxide, um, but shut down very abruptly. And it was a kind of that it was almost it was an organizational postmortem. I mean, it was it was it, it was 
really interesting reading. It also gave us a lot of confidence because they had made a lot of execution mistakes that we were confident we weren't going to make. Um, so I do think that you, that's the only place I've seen anything kind of approaching that. Uh, and things like losing the signal and, you know, cue our conversation from a couple weeks ago. But I would be, I would love to hear any company that does that. That would be amazing. And the, the other point that I was going to make is the point on transparency. I think um, it's, you know, it's easy when, when a, a business encounters some headwinds, it's easy to think that, oh my God, if I tell the team what's really happening, they're all going to quit. They, they can't handle the truth. And, and my experience actually is that people are quite resilient. They can handle the truth. And if you tell them the truth, you let them make the decisions that are best for them and their family. I think it was really stark for me at Pebble because there came a time where we stopped getting any sales data at the company. Hmm. And so nobody knew all of a sudden how things were going. And that went on for several months. And, and we didn't think anything of it because frankly, we were young and naive and it was you know, in my case my second job ever and and you know i was 24 years old um and um and then one day you know we had a round of layoffs and everybody woke up and realized that things weren't going well and that was yeah. really a shock um and and alongside that you know there was a, a I think a lot of blowback on that surprise and on the shock that came with that and so they changed it and we we ended up having a monthly finance and sales updates from the CFO internally with all the numbers unedited. Um, and we saw how things were going. And um, because I was on a visa at some point, I decided to leave because it got way too close to zero. Um, right. But, but, but the, the vast majority of people stayed until the bitter end, knowing full well that it was not, you know, that the ship was, was taking serious water. Um, and the takeaway from, for me is that first, like, I'm glad that I got to make the decision for myself. And two, yeah. um, you know, I saw the majority of my colleagues stay until the very, very end. And, um, and, and I think that the company was better for it. And so, um, you know, in these times, if you don't know what the revenue of your business is and how that compares to the forecast, I, I think that's a problem. You should ask your leadership. Man, Francois, that is just dripping with wisdom. There's so much in there to unpack. Um, and that is so good. I, cause, I mean, there's so much in there. I mean, and I also think the way you kind of call back to the, the, the immigrants' plight and that transparency, allowing everyone to kind of make a, like a heads-up decision of like, look, the business is struggling. And you're going to have a bunch of people who are like, yep, the business is struggling. It's a startup. I am, you know, I, I am secure right now, or I economically, I, I am heads up on this decision. I want to stay to the better end and allowing other people to be like, actually, you know, my spouse is going back to school or I'm an immigrant, right? You've got, I've got something where I've actually got more anxiety of giving that person the kind of the freedom to make a heads up economic decision. I think that's amazing to me, first of all. One question, I definitely, so we are very transparent inside of Oxide. And actually, actually Adam, I'd love to get your perspective on this because we've been very transparent about raising money. And I always worry that the, and I, I shouldn't, but I, I, I always worry that we are being transparent with, to a fault and that we are, because it, it can feel very uh, anxiety producing to raise 
And are we giving all these other people, uh, giving the whole company anxiety that we should be this? But I mean, I think obviously I've come out on the side that like we should be very transparent about it. But have we been transparent to a fault on that? I don't So no. Uh, I think the only place where folks can get confused is, you know, there are ups and downs and ups and downs that are natural. And as Francois was saying, like even ups and downs in the sales cycle. And we actually had something very similar at Delphix where we'd be very transparent about it. Uh, you know, we got some very exciting quarters. And I think in all of these cases, the thing, the risk you take is, is really about a lack of context or experience, right? If it's your first quarter and you're sitting there on day 85 and you haven't, and you're at 50% of the number, it's very reasonable to think, uh, are we going to get there? In the same way that if you're raising money and you've been at other companies and it's just that the founders show up one day and say, there's a new $12 million in the bank and let's pop the champagne, to see the process, the ugly process, can be concerning. I think it, there it's just like having the avenues that, you know, at, at, that, that people have at Oxide to ask their peers or ask you or ask Steve to say, hey, is this, is this normal or is this weird or are things fine or are things that, fucked up? That's a good point. That's actually good. In terms of like you are, yes, on the one hand, you are broadcasting this anxiety to the entire company. So you're now kind of like taking a tax in the entire company. On the other hand, you're also allowing the company to communicate with itself and allowing people to ask, you know, hey, like, should I, you know, I've not seen this before. I've not been in a startup and allowing other people who've been in startups before to say like, yeah, look, this is normal or yeah, this is, that's interesting. I mean, I hope and, and actually, we, like we, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it will not surprise you. I get a bunch of those DMs from time to time. Yeah, for sure. Because folks, you know, have have known that I've seen a thing or two, and say, you know, is this normal? Is this weird? What's your take on X, Y, or Z, or double? And I'm sure that that happens for lots of folks within the company, and I think that's healthy. And I think that's 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 uh, a, the kind of conversation that leadership can encourage, should encourage, um, but at, at a minimum, shouldn't discourage. And I think the kinds, right. and yeah. I think transparency produces more transparency and candor produces more candor. Yeah, that's interesting. And I assume, by the way, when you're being hit up in DMs asking if this is weird, you're like, this is the weirdest fucking thing I've ever so seen. so fucked up. Like, I, just, I cannot tell you how folks. weird this is. Yeah. <laughs> Top to bottom, never seen anything like this before. That's right. <laughs> Good, thank you for doing your service. Yeah. Um, no, that, that, that's, that's, very, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and um, so, all right, so... Um, uh, CSAMP, I, I think it, it looks like you were at yeah. Sun back in the day. Uh, so, so I was near Sun actually. So I was um, Chris is my is my name. So I was uh, in the Bay Area for the the dot com boom and bust. Um, started out there <laughs> in '97. Worked for some consulting companies, uh, you know, Pets dot com and all of that fun stuff. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, the traffic getting better in in two thousand. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, there's so much easier commute. Um, I remember being a company trying to hire me with some options and explaining that I think it was a 750 price to earnings ratio was actually not that bad. And (laughs) somebody see some money on that. Um, I was I went somewhere else, fortunately. Although, you know, in the end, it didn't really do me much good. I I, I hired in a company where I was, I think, employee 100. We went up to about a thousand and then back down to I think 40 by the time I actually left. And you know, I moved to. Chicago and, and and things like that, and took a different uh, journey. Still, still in tech. So, um, if you don't mind me asking, what was the time from a hundred to a thousand to forty? What was the time bounds from the oh, hundred to forty? Twelve months, eighteen months. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, was, no, I, that's part of the reason I ask is because, and I do feel like that was typical of the time. 
of you went from like nothing, unbelievably large, completely dead in the span of like nine months. You're like, what the? Yeah. What? Okay, whoa, make your head spin. Wow. It was really bizarre. You know, the project I was on, you know, a consulting company, we were busy. So people were coming and going and I, I never got a chance to meet them, to know them, anything like that. Um, I do remember though, and this kind of uh, kind of is, is the question I want to want to get to here is um, hearing about Sun clue this in because as as people were, would uh, you know companies would fail that were our customers you know someone would get assigned to other projects or maybe people would move to other uh, places and it started to look a little grim you know there were layoffs and and I was like well how bad is it going to get and I remember looking for to kind of reassure myself looking at Sun's website and looking <laughs> hey they're still hiring Java uh, engineers I'm going to be fine right I, I've been right. doing this for a couple of years as long as anybody else and, okay great and then. At one point, they weren't any longer. And I was like, well, shit, this is going to be a tough one, right? Um, and I think I, kind of making, I don't know if there's any, you know, there's maybe, I'm sure some comparisons to that era and today. Um, and kind of, especially the changes in the valuations that we've seen in the last year. Um, I, oh, for I, sure. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I the first bro. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of wondering, you know, what would you think is kind of your, Sun, or where are you kind of looking and saying, well, is it what sectors in tech is it is it confined to? So you know, hey, okay, you know, there's a, a gentleman who spoke about Google. Hey, ad ad revenue looks a little off, but this cloud stuff's doing okay. So I'm feeling pretty good when I wake up in the morning. Um, and you know, where are you kind of looking to see is that is that base of solidity under uh, tech uh, uh, revenues eroding, or what kind of lines do you see getting? either crossed or we're okay or what, what do you got your eye on well that's a great question and i gotta tell you i mean i don't think i'd be the only one to give this answer that among certainly kind of established late series startups stripe would be right up there with a company that i would say is like this is a company that is broadly speaking has got a great business model we know they've got a lot of revenue they've done very well i mean they've they, they, they've made a lot of right decisions and I kind of like you were with Stripe. I may have it was with Sun. I may have been with Stripe a week ago saying like, well, mm -hmm. you know, the do they still have open positions. So the fact that they did a deep cut um, that I think and I, I again, I don't think I'm the only one who who thought that I think that that's why a lot of people sure. felt like, oh, shit, Stripe took a 14 percent haircut. Like Stripe feels like a company that is, you know, I think a lot of, there are aspects that I think a lot of companies aspire to rightly so. Uh, in Stripe. And mm -hmm. so I think that that one is a bit chilling. I think, you know, Google is going to be one to watch. We have a big meta announcement apparently coming. Um, yep. that, that, and, and, you know, I think that there's one of the, I think, very, and I actually thought this was going to happen, I should say, a long time ago, like kind of five years ago. But I, one thing I definitely wonder is around the efficacy of some of this online advertising. And mm -hmm. So much is built on it. And if advertisers are coming, and I had tweeted out, actually, that a terrific piece that I read on Musk and Twitter describing him as going full tilt as a poker player and part yeah, of the right. challenge that, which I thought was an amazingly well-written piece. But the, and then th that piece talk, referenced to a, a book that looks really, really interesting uh, wondering if the, likening the current spend on advertising to the subprime uh, mortgage, subprime mortgages in 2008, which is like, that is, I mean, that's, that's intriguing, right? I really want to go read the book. Yeah. Um, 
I saw a similar thing that uh, someone on, on Twitter here just in the last couple of days was worried about, hey, all the all my information that, that Twitter knows about me, all the ad tracking related data, it's going to be leaked and people are going to have that and they're going to do something nefarious with it. And I, I saw a very good follow up comment to that was everybody already knows all of this stuff about you anyway. You know, <laughs> 10 years ago, maybe the answer was different, but now that's that's all out there. And so it actually has not much differentiated value any longer. Right. Because uh, it's not. Uh, yeah. It's not monetizable. Right. Um, so that's a big concern that this this kind of all this ad tech funded stuff could kind of deflate. Um, what, where might you think some of that money would would go? It's, I'm sure some of it's going to be destroyed, I think, obviously. And oh, uh, yo, yes. And, and hurt. yes. But it's also going to flow to other places. Do you have any thoughts? About uh, I do not know, because I think that, you know, we had a lot of money flowing into Silicon Valley because of the interest rate environment. I think we were we had a we total dependency on the fact that if people had a hard time getting returns that weren't in Silicon Valley, so we had a lot of cash coming here. Um, as a company, like raising around right now, it is, uh, you know, and we, we're in, we feel like we're in good shape, but uh, just based on the things we've seen out there, it's grim. Um, and it's really unclear, I think, to everybody. I mean, you are, you are here for the bust. And uh, you I mean, remember so much value was just just evaporated and yeah. never came back. Uh, Cisco, I believe, has still not hit its high from 2000. Uh, Tom may be, I thought if there's a weeping emoji, Tom may be doing it now. Um, but the, um, so I, I think a, there's going to be plenty of value that may just simply never return. Um, I, you know, I don't know when you look at part of the reason that you know, when I first came into tech, I, I thought that uh, we were immune from booms and busts. And I'd grown up in Colorado um, and Colorado had a really grinding bust in 1987, an oil bust. Mm -hmm. And I uh, had, you know, I, my friends whose parents were geologists or petroleum engineers were all like lives thrown totally in disarray. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, Oh, I'm a software engineer. Like, this is great. I'm immune from booms and busts. It's like, right. no, you're definitely not my friend. You are in, it's a different kind of boom and bust, but we definitely have booms and busts in our, and I, a part of the reason I get uncomfortable with booms is because I know what the bust looks like. You and know, it's, it feels too good. Yeah. Yeah, and the busts are grim. I mean, and, and you know, I the, someone who I look up to a lot from an investment perspective um, said, you know, enjoy the party, but dance close to the door. And uh, boy, I certainly did after the, you know, after the dot-com bust, which I think cast such a shadow. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the book, by the way, I wanted to get the book. So the book is by Tim Huang. I've not read it. I just, I just learned of it in reading this piece earlier today. The Subprime Attention Crisis advertising and the time bomb at the heart of the internet, which I think is, I'm going to be really interested to read this in part because I was having this argument with my kids over the weekend, or not arguments too strong, but we were talking about advertising and um, you know, my kids were, I wrote this blog entry over the weekend and talking about part of one of the things I was saying is that I'm realizing that there is, I'm looking for what the replacement for Twitter is and it's not going to be one thing. It's going to be several. Mm -hmm. And I pointed out that like, I, I, I got confidence in this because my kids think it's obviously, it's so obvious that it's stupid and no one should even bother saying it because it's so obvious. Like, okay. Um, but talking with them about advertising and my kids are like, I have never clicked on an ad ever. And I'm like, right. ever? Like I have yeah. never clicked on an ad. And 
you it's mesmerizing to be with a kid on the internet like they are at immune and you do wonder it's yeah, like they're blind to them yes yeah it's just like is this coming home to roost at all anywhere i mean clearly ads work at some level but i think that would be a big big shoot a drop um and you know that could be real deep if if we decide that advertising it, that advertisers decide that you know main street america decides that and i i mean i imagine you must feel the same way because we saw so much discretionary budget disappear yeah. in the, the, the that if if we have a a broad recession where mainstream you know where coca-cola decides like actually we just need to spend less on online ads like it's not the right vote you know, or, you know, the Washington Post, I'm not sure, you know, they're kind of these big advertisers. It could be really, really deep around here. Yeah. I don't know. I, what do you one, think? I, I think? I think it really could. I think uh, like, like we saw that everyone thought if I sell X on the internet, like pet food, never mind that it costs $50 to ship a bag of dog food to my door. Um, yeah. I, they're going to be worth millions or, or billions. Uh, some of that is definitely returning around this. So I kind of want to wrap up on, on maybe a more boring note and, and thinking about some of the listeners here, because um, <clears throat> I had some personal strife in that time and it was laid off for, and for a bit, but I ended up finding work as a software engineer for a uh, small company in Chicago that was like 10 years behind where everyone else was in, in Silicon Valley. And, you know, they, they paid well. I kept learning. I kept, I stayed in the field. I'm still, you know, here and working now. Um, now I'm in data set, data center tech, Kubernetes, things like that. And working with these large customers, these industrial customers, they are so far behind on <laughs> they are. Yeah, they are. everybody else. Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, the folks on this call with some transition could be working there for decades. And yes, maybe, you know, they don't, the lunches they cater are nowhere near as good. I'll, I'll tell you that much, but um, they, they pay the bills, their jobs to have. And, and then, you know, you, you, you see another day. And I, such good words of wisdom, I think. And I, you're, you're so right. I do feel, certainly I felt that the, uh, in the bust, I mean, the, the, well, put it this way. I did the most innovative work in my career. I did more innovative work in the bust than the boom. Um, is the most concise way to phrase it. That the when you the, when the the economy turns and it's not easy straight. It's hard. And as you said, like the catered lunches aren't nearly as good. There are no catered lunches. Uh, that 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 really that changes you. But that can be in good ways. Like you can actually get um, those constraints can be actually really helpful. I don't know, Horace. What do you uh, what do you think? I kind of just wanted to comment on. Um, what you were saying about what the conversation about the ad um, ad dollars, and because the, especially read the story on, um, you're saying the kids have never clicked on an ad, and it's kind of the same for me, where ad ad targeting has not been that great for me, and I think there it's kind of like two questions I have, or two things, one it's kind of be a battle of who can get better ad targeting because it's. And so a lot of times, person will look at Meta, they'll look at Google, and it seems like YouTube is standing still, search is standing still, but it's so much effort um, being put into trying to get better targeted ad, better um, return on the dollar for advertisers. And so the question now becomes, if advertisers just get up one day and say, hey, uh, this online ad thing doesn't seem to be working out for us, what are they going to do? Because they do need to market their products to consumers. Um, there's only so much billboard space in Times Square. Like the the question is, if they decide not to 
continue um, or continue bolstering this uh, kind of like Web2 ad, um, ad, t- ad targeting while they do instead because Coca-Cola will still need to sell those their sodas. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. And I think that it also kind of brings to mind something that I felt like I had to learn. When things do begin to turn, when a company begins to turn, when you do need to kind of, when layoffs are happening and you keep thinking of like, how do I get back to the way it was? There's a danger in that because often like the way it was is not coming back. And we're not like we're gone forever from that world. That was a period of time. And now, and just to your point, Horace, about like the we may have much more targeted ads. By the way, that may mean much less revenue for some of these tech companies. That may mean lower earnings. These tech tech companies may be they may have found, you know, it's kind of like when the newspapers went online where, yes, there is a business to be made in an online newspaper. It's much smaller, by the way than the newspaper business where you have a monopoly on information in the city. And that's going to have to, there's an adjustment that has to be made there. I I do think getting back to kind of Francois's earlier, earlier point, the it's really important to be transparent with people as these economic conditions change as the, the, as the climate changes. Cause I think that, you know, Francois, I feel like one of the points that that you really had that resonated with me is, is just to like, you know, you've got people, who are adults, like they can hear it. They can hear the challenges. And especially in our domain, it's like people are really creative and they want to help out. And you can unlock some of that esprit de corps. You're so worried about kind of worrying people when you actually can can engage them. Of course, you have to do it at the right time and in the right way. And that's certainly, uh, you know, far too late, I'm, I'm afraid, at, at, at Twitter, which I think the, the die is very much cast there. Uh, one actually uh, on the topic of the the, the dot com bust and uh, the boom and bust, and one of the I think that the harbingers of perhaps things to come. Uh, there are way too many tech billboards right now. Um, I felt like billboards on the one hundred and one was like a big thing back in the day, and I noticed just dropping my wife off at the airport last night. Like it's like where are way too many billboards between SFO and San Francisco that are just tech companies. Um, and so I, I think that it's it. We've got rockier times ahead for sure. I think we've got more. There are going to be more companies that are going to going to be going through uh, reductions in force. And um, I I really really hope that we see more of the stripe the stripes acting as models um, rather than certainly the the twitters. I, it is important to me that we not normalize this barbaric behavior that we've seen out of Twitter. This is, this is atrocious behavior. Harry, you mentioned a point earlier about the importance of regulation here. And I am, I'm loath to introduce so much regulation that, that companies are afraid to expand because they're, that they are unable to contract economically. Like you need to allow companies to expand and contract, but what Twitter has done is so deeply wrong here. And um, I, I, I really, uh, there, there, there really need to be consequences here, and if they're not going to be consequences, it kind of not going to be consequences from a regulatory body. There need to be consequences from us as technologists. We cannot walk past this, and we really can't forgive it because the way those folks were laid off is just absolutely wrong. So, if people haven't already inferred it, um, I know Adam has stepped away because he's got a uh, he's got a toddler that needs to get to get dinner to. I've got a. a I got to get dinner on for my brood as well. Um, I don't know if if there are any other closing thoughts from folks 
Um, but I uh, really wanted to to thank people for joining us. Um, I, this is a um, you know, this is a thorny topic, but it's something that I think we need to talk about directly. I think a lot of the problem here is that we are just kind of hoping these things don't happen. And when they do happen, we're dealing with them poorly. We need to know that uh, we've got a responsibility to our employees, as we said earlier, especially to our employees who are here on a visa. And we've got a, a responsibility both as we grow a company and then especially as we contract, we have a responsibility to really take responsibility. So thank you very much for everyone. Great to see everyone. Um, and we will, we're going to be on Twitter spaces for at least a little while here until we find something else. So um, we'll see you next time and we'll be talking Mastodon. Thanks everybody.